Amen. Before we sing our, our song of preparation this morning, we're actually going to read the first part of our scripture passage and uh, break it up as we have a longer reading this morning. So we're going to read Job 12.1 through 13.19, and then we'll sing Psalm 73 in just a moment. This is um, Job's response to Zophar. We read in chapter 11 last week in the afternoon of Job or of Zophar's speech to Job. And so we'll read now his response to Zophar in Job 12, 1 through 13, 19. And then we'll sing from Psalm 73 in a moment. Then Job answered and said, No doubt you are the people, and wisdom will die with you. But I have understanding as well as you. I am not inferior to you. Indeed, who does not know these things? I am one mocked by his friends who called on God and he answered him, the just and blameless who is ridiculed. A lamp is despised in the thought of one who is at ease. It is made ready for those whose feet slip. The tents of robbers prosper and those who provoke God are secure and what God provides by his hand. But now ask the beasts, and they will teach you, and the birds of the air, and they will tell you, or speak to the earth, and it will teach you, and the fish of the sea will explain to you, who among all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this, in whose hand is the life of every living thing, and the breath of all mankind, does not the ear test words, and the mouth taste its food, wisdom is with aged men, and with length of days, understanding. With him are wisdom and strength. He has counsel and understanding. If he breaks a thing down, it cannot be rebuilt. If he imprisons a man, there can be no release. If he withholds the waters, they dry up. If he sends them out, they overwhelm the earth. With him are strength and prudence. The deceived and the deceiver are his. He leads counselors away plundered and makes fools of the judges. He loosens the bonds of kings and binds their waist with the belt. He leads Princes or, or priests away plundered and overthrows the mighty. He deprives the trusted ones of speech and takes away the discernment of the elders. He pours contempt on princes and disarms the mighty. He uncovers deep things out of darkness and brings the shadow of death to light. He makes nations great and destroys them. He enlarges nations and guides them. He takes away the understanding of the chiefs of the people of the earth and makes them wander in a pathless wilderness. They grope in the dark without light. And he makes them stagger like a drunken man. Behold, my eye has seen all this. My ear has heard and understood it. What you know, I also know. I am not inferior to you. But I would speak to the Almighty, and I desire to reason with God, but you are forgers of lies. You are all worthless physicians. Oh, that you would be silent, and it would be your wisdom. Now hear my reasoning and heed the pleadings of my lips. Will you speak wickedly for God and talk deceitfully for him? Will you show partiality for him? Will you contend for God? Will it be well when he searches you out, or can you mock him as one mocks a man? He will surely rebuke you if you secretly show partiality. Will not his excellence make you afraid and the dread of him fall upon you? 
Your platitudes are proverbs of ashes. Your defenses are defenses of clay. Hold your peace with me and let me speak. Then let come on me what may. Why do I take my flesh in my teeth and put my life in my hands? Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Even so, I will defend my own ways before him. He also shall be my salvation, for a hypocrite could not come before him. Listen carefully to my speech and to my declaration with your ears. See now, I have prepared my case. I know that I shall be vindicated. Who is he who will contend with me? If now I hold my tongue, I perish. And then we'll sing together Psalm 73a, stanzas 1, 2, 5, 6, and 9. 73a, just like Job in Job chapter 12, the psalmist is looking at the prosperity of the wicked and the suffering of the righteous and is a bit perplexed by it. But nevertheless, says, even though my flesh and my heart may fail, God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Like Job, he says, though he slay me, I will trust in him. So we'll sing together stances 1, 2, 5, 6, and 9 of number 73a.
we'll continue in Job chapter 13, where we left off a moment ago, reading Job 13, 20 through the end of chapter 14, where Job now speaks to God, having spoken to Zophar and his friends in the chapter and a half we just read now, Job 13, verse 20, speaking to God, he says, only two things do not do to me, then I will not hide myself from you. Withdraw your hand far from me and let not the dread of you make me afraid. Then call and I will answer or let me speak. Then you respond to me. How many are my iniquities and sins? Make me know my transgression and my sin. Why do you hide your face and regard me as your enemy? Will you frighten a leaf driven to and fro? And will you pursue dry stubble? Will you write bitter things against me and make me inherit the iniquities of my youth? You put my feet in the stocks and watch closely all my paths. You set a limit for the soles of my feet. Man decays like a rotten thing, like a garment that is moth-eaten. Man who is born of woman is of few days and full of trouble. He comes forth like a flower and fades away. He flees like a shadow and does not continue. And do you open your eyes on such a one and bring me to judgment with yourself? Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? No one. Since his days are determined, the number of his months is with you. You have appointed his limits so that he cannot pass. Look away from him that he may rest till like a hired man he finishes his day. For there is hope for a tree if it is cut down that it will sprout again and that its tender shoots will not cease though its root may grow old in the earth and its stump may die in the ground yet at the scent of water it will bud and bring forth branches like a plant. But man dies and is laid away. Indeed, he breathes his last, and where is he? As water disappears from the sea, and the river becomes parched and dries up, so man lies down and does not rise, till the heavens are no more. They will not awake, nor be roused from their sleep. Oh, that you would hide me in the grave, that you would conceal me until your wrath is past, that you would appoint me a set time and remember me. If a man dies, shall he live again? All the days of my hard service, I will wait till my change or my renewal comes. You shall call, and I will answer you. You shall desire the work of your hands, for now you number my steps, but do not watch over my sin. My transgression is sealed up in a bag, and you cover my iniquity. But as a mountain falls and crumbles away, as a rock is moved from its place, as water wears away stones and as torrents wash away the soil of the earth, so you destroy the hope of man. You prevail forever against him and he passes on. You change his countenance and send him away. His sons come to honor and he does not know it. They are brought low and he does not perceive it. But his flesh will be in pain over it and his soul will mourn over it.
Well, Job, we saw last Sunday morning, was struggling with the sovereignty of God. How can a, a God who is all-wise, all-good, and all-powerful allow the death of my children, destruction of my property, and deterioration of my body? How is it that God can be both sovereign and just? That's the question that, that Job has been asking, a question that many of us have found ourselves asking too as doubts arise in our minds as to whether God, if sovereign, can be just or if just can be sovereign as we try to make sense of, of the tragedies that occur in this world of, of natural disasters or mass shootings or even the trauma in our own life. And as Job wrestles with how to affirm both of these things, that God is both sovereign and also just, he, he finds his mind in, in these chapters going to life after death, asking questions about if a man dies, whether he will live. It is still grasping for something he doesn't yet fully understand, but what we have here in, in seed form in Job 14 is resurrection longing in a world of suffering. Job is learning what Asaph will learn in Psalm 73, that sometimes the wicked prosper and the righteous suffer. And in this life, that tension may not be resolved, but Asaph said, when I went to the sanctuary of the Lord, then I understood their end, that those who are far from God will perish, and the righteous will be received into glory, not in this life, but in the next, in the end, Asaph says. He says, you will afterward receive me into glory. Of late, J.I. Packer once said that when doubts arise as to whether God is sovereign and just, the last judgment will be his final self-vindication against all suspicions that he has ceased to care about the righteous. The last judgment will be God's final self-vindication against all suspicion that he has ceased to care about the righteous. Resurrection hope is what makes sense of a world of suffering. And so just as, as we saw last week, last Sunday morning, Job hoping against hope for a mediator who would lay his hand on both God and his divinity and man in his humanity, here he hopes against hope for life beyond life. Here we see Job longing for resurrection, asking the question, if a man dies, shall he live again? A question that Christ will answer in John 11, in that passage we heard in our call to worship, where he says in a word, yes. Yes, he who believes in me, though he dies, shall live. We have here in Job 14 a little seed that will grow into the flower that we see in the resurrection hope that comes to us through Christ. So again, the suffering of Job gives birth to a prophetic revelation about the Christ to come. And so this morning, as we we consider that prophetic revelation, I want to look first at Job wrestling with the fact that God is the one who has brought about his suffering, before we then look at his trust in God and his hope for renewal. 
First, Job 12, 1 through 13, 12. We see in the section, Job essentially just saying, God has done this. That's what we see in this first movement of our passage where Job is responding to Zophar and says, Zophar, you are not the only one with wisdom. Wisdom will not die with you, but, but look at the facts, Zophar. I am one who called upon God and he answered me, meaning I have a, a vibrant prayer life and I love God. And when I would pray to him, he would answer I'm a just and blameless man. You yourself cannot even identify a sin with which to charge me. That's why you're saying I'm a secret sinner. But nevertheless, even though I have this vibrant prayer life with God, even though I'm a just man, I am mocked and ridiculed while those who provoke God are secure and the tents of robbers prosper. He's saying I've not sinned to cause this. God has done it. Therefore, your assessment is totally wrong. He's saying, I'm not inferior to you. I understand so far that God is incomprehensible. I know that those who sin must turn to him and repent, but I'm not sinning. And yet I'm suffering. And suffering even more as I'm mocked by you who despise my misfortune. Verse 5 of of chapter 12, the NIV translates, those who are at ease, in other words, the friends, have contempt for misfortune as the fate of those whose feet are slipping. He's saying, you despise my suffering as evidence of a lack of faith. You despise my suffering as evidence that my spiritual feet have slipped. But your assessment is totally wrong. Just look around you. Verse 7, just ask the beasts and they will teach you. Ask the birds and they will tell you. Speak to the earth and it will teach you. The fish, they will explain. Who among them does not know that God is the one who's done this? Job is saying your system is bankrupt. Even the animals know that God is completely free in his sovereign decree and in everything he does. He is completely free. And so it's not as simple as just repenting to get my life back. But God, in his infinite wisdom, verse 13, tears down so that a thing cannot be rebuilt. He shuts a man in so no one can let him out. The things that he allows to happen in this world cannot be explained by simple moral cause and effect, but sometimes he withholds rain so there's drought. And sometimes he sends floods and overwhelms. He allows natural disasters. Verse 17, he undoes human power, both counselors and judges, kings and priests. He leads them away plundered. Verse 19, I made this point as I was reading where it says princes in the New King James, that word is priests. Even religious leaders, he leads away plundered and overthrows the mighty. Job is painting a picture of a world where natural disasters occur, where religious people suffer, where nations are enlarged and then destroyed, verse 23, he's painting a picture of a world where God is utterly sovereign and in his infinite wisdom, he builds up and he tears down. 
Just as he's done with Job, who, like the one in verse 17, was a counselor. That's what Eliphaz calls him in in 4 verse 4. He's a king. That's what Job 29 calls him. He's a priest interceding for his children back in chapter 1 and later on his friends in chapter 42 and yet has been disarmed and destroyed. And so all of this leads him to say in chapter 13, Zophar, uh, Bildad, Eliphaz, you whitewash with lies. Verse 4, you are worthless physicians giving me your system of religion when what I need is a redeemer. Uh, Giving me law when what I need is the gospel. Prescribing contrition when what I need is compassion. You whitewash with lies, painting over the messy reality of life in this sin-cursed world to make it look tidy and then prescribing a daily dose of repent and prosper. When what I need is the medicine of the gospel. So verse 5, stop talking. That would be the wisest thing you've done. Just listen, hear my reasoning, heed the pleadings of my lips. Stop trying to defend God by speaking falsely for him. He's saying that these men have become false witnesses. Like the men in Matthew 26 at the trial of Christ. That they have become false teachers like the Pharisees in the Gospels misconstruing the character of God and misunderstanding the case of his suffering servant. And when God appears, verse 9, Job says he will rebuke them, which indeed he will in chapter 42. For these men have misunderstood the way that God operates in this world. They have misunderstood Job and numbered him with sinners when he is, in fact, a righteous and blameless man. Which again is the role that these friends are playing in this gospel story, numbering him with transgressors. C.J. Williams says their comfortless counsel is more than just a timeless warning for the counselors of this world, but is an element of the messianic shadow that's being cast over the book of Job. Job looked for comforters, but he found none, as would Jesus. He was numbered with transgressors. There was a public outcry against him. Those who were at ease despised his misfortune and they whitewashed Jesus with lies, smearing him with false accusations and opposing him with false teaching. So the situation that Job describes at the beginning of chapter 13 and the beginning of chapter 12 is part of the shadow of Christ in this story. Christ's comfortless suffering is prophetically pictured in the suffering of Job. That's why at certain points the Messianic Psalms will pick up on the very language of Job. Because they are telling the same story. Of a just and blameless man, Job 12.4, who is ridiculed. Psalm 69 looks for comforters but finds none. For their platitudes have become proverbs of ashes and their supposed defenses of God are defenses of clay. Job is not impressed with them. They fail to understand that God has, or that Job has not done this to himself by his sin, but God has done this. 
Job understands that. And yet, amazingly, in the next section, in chapter 13, verses 13 to 19, he continues to trust in God. He says to his friends, hold your peace and let me speak to God. Let me get back to to the praying and lamenting that I've been trying to do and you keep interrupting me from. Let me continue praying to God who though he slay me, yet I will trust in him. It's one of the most amazing statements in the whole book, one of, of the most amazing confessions of faith in the Bible. Though he slay me, yet I will trust in him. You hear what Job is saying? After this long description in chapter 12, the first part of chapter 13, of how he is righteous and yet God leads him away plundered, he says, God can treat me even worse. He can even kill me. And I will continue to trust in him. Already here we see a little, a little uh, hint, a little glimmer of life beyond life. As he says, even after death, I will continue to trust him. But, but more than that, we see the kind of faith that answers the charge of Satan, who said back in chapter 1 and again in chapter 2 that Job fears God for nothing. He said, take away his stuff, take away his family, take away his health, and he will curse you to your face. But instead, Job says, he can even kill me, and yet I will trust him. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Earth has nothing I desire besides him. Though he slay me, yet I will trust in him. I was reminded this week in in preparing this sermon of a, a song where uh, the writers take this phrase from Job 13, though he slay me and uh, relate it to Psalm 73, that, that psalm we sang a moment ago. And they say, though he slay me yet, or though you slay me yet, I will praise you. Though you take from me, I will bless your name. Though you ruin me still, I will worship, sing a song to the one who is all I need. My flesh and my heart may fail, the earth below give way. But with my eyes, I will see the Lord. And it goes on to say that even in the midst of my suffering, God is still all that I need. He is more than enough for me. Job 13, 15 and Psalm 73, verses 25 and 26 are two of the great confessions of faith we have in the Bible. And both are saying, even in the midst of great adversity, when it feels as if God has torn us down, we trust him. We cherish his infinite worth, not for what he gives, but for what he is. Our portion and delight. Job does not love God for something less than himself, and that's what enables him not to hate him when his flesh and his heart and his home and his children and his friends and his wife all fail. Do you love God enough to say, though he slay me, Yet, I will trust in him. As we've looked at some of the speeches of Job's friends, we've made the point that we need to be gentle with sufferers. But sometimes there is a need for correction. And maybe there is someone here this morning who has suffered greatly, but you have allowed that to make you hate God and say, because he slay me, I will not trust him. 
Because of the things that he has made me endure, I will not believe that he's good, but I'll, I'll push myself away from him. If that's you this morning, Job is calling you to see the infinite value of God himself and say, even if he ruins me, I will trust him. I will not love him for something less than himself, his gifts, and cherish a desire that can fail me, running the risk of hating him if he doesn't give me what I ask for, but earth has nothing I desire besides him. So even if great calamity befalls me, even if I lose my job, even if I lose my savings, even if I lose my children, I will trust him. Do you see this beautiful confession of faith? It is Job 13, 15 against that backdrop of the suffering of this righteous man. And then notice also what comes after it. Right after that, in fact, in the very same verse, Job says, even so, I will defend my own ways before him. And so notice again how Job's confession of faith is not incompatible with honest lament. But he cries out to God and pleads his case before him. As as one writer said, he lays out his inner sufferings before the one who is able to alleviate his suffering, heal his wounds, and dry his tears. He offers this lament, this complaint as an act of faith, not holding his tongue, verse 19, but offering this prayer that we'll look at now in the rest of of chapter 13 and chapter 14. We've seen Job confess that God has done this, and yet he will trust him. And now we come to that surprising seed of resurrection hope that this lament gives birth to, where Job says he will wait for his renewal. After crying out to God and asking him to withdraw his hand from him so that they might speak to each other, Job says, Lord, let me know if I have sinned in some way. Why do you hide your face from me and treat me as an enemy, tormenting me as a wind-blown leaf? He longs for a relationship with God to be restored. He longs for God no longer to hide his face, but rather to have communion with him, to restore the the friendship that they once knew, the love that he spoke of in chapter 10. Again, Job's greatest desire is not to get his stuff back, but restored relationship with the Lord. His greatest lament is not over his health, It's not over his family, but over the felt absence of his father's love. And so he goes on, why do you write bitter things against me and make me inherit the sins of my youth? Why can I not know you in the way I once did? He laments how God has put his feet in the stocks, how he wastes away like a moth-eaten garment, how his days are few and full of trouble coming forth as a shadow and then fading away. He laments how God is hounding him, how his days are numbered and appointed by God so he cannot pass, and he asks God in 14 verse 6 to look away and let him rest until his day finishes and he dies. Again, Job's only hope is death. That's how each of his speeches have ended. We saw it in chapter 3, we saw it in chapter 7, we saw it in chapter 10. But here we see something surprising. 
As Job's speech doesn't end here, but, but he goes on and turns to ponder the possibility of life after death. He longs for the friendship of God and a restored sense of, of God's fatherly hand upon him. And he doesn't know if that's even going to be possible in, in this life, but, but, but as he's trying to make sense of this, he, he turns to creation as he did back in chapter 12, and he looks to the trees and says, wait just a second. As I look at the tree, I see that, that, that there's hope. If it's cut down, that one day it will rise again. That if its roots are intact, it'll bud up again and bring forth branches. And so is it not possible that something like that might be able to happen with me, life beyond life? And in verse 12, he, he seems to say no. But then immediately after that, he contradicts himself in verse 13, where he comes again to the thought of being hidden in the grave and concealed until, until God's wrath is passed, at which time he imagines God would remember him and summon him back to life. And he wonders, is such a thing even possible? Verse 14, if a man dies, shall he live again? And Job seems to have answered that with a no in verse 12, but he cannot shake the thought that just maybe there is life beyond life. Beloved, Job is here trembling on the verge of the hope of immortality. For Old Testament saints, especially in this early patriarchal age in which Job lived, the, the future was revealed but dimly. But the veil was about to be lifted over Job's eyes more than it ever had before. God was giving him a germ of hope that would later unfold itself in the fullness of resurrection hope through Christ. This is one of the earliest glimmerings of the hope of resurrection, perhaps the earliest. And when Job says, then my change, or as the ESV renders that, my renewal will come, and in verse 14, that speaks of resurrection. Renewal, which, which implies both continuity, re, but also newness, renewal. Job is longing for resurrection. He is longing for life after death where he says, then you would call to me and I would answer you and you would desire the work of your hands. Job is anticipating the love of the resurrecting God, longing for a loving relationship with God after death. If I may have no vindication and no sense of that in this life, then I will long for the hope of life after death. Where he says in verse 16, you will number my steps and watch over me. You will no longer be watching over my sin as in 14 verse 3, but you will seal up my transgression in a bag and you will cover over my iniquity. Job is hoping for his sin to be dealt with once and for all. The sins of his youth that he spoke of in chapter 13, the sinful nature that he inherits from Adam, for God to take it and seal it in a bag and throw it away, never to be reopened. As we hear this afternoon, the words of, of Micah 7, to throw it into the bottom of the sea, never again to rise. Job is on the verge of proclaiming the gospel, the love and pardon of the resurrecting God who would overcome death in the resurrection of his son. 
But then as quickly as this glimmer appears, so quickly it departs as Job believes this to be simply wishful thinking and goes back to despair in verses 18 through 22 and and says, as a mountain falls and crumbles or as a torrent washes away the soil of the earth, so you destroy man's hope, you prevail against him and he passes away, his face is changed and becomes lined with age and eventually death and you send him away into the grave where he is isolated from his sons and never sees them again. And all ends, verse 22, in hopelessness. That's what Job has apart from the resurrection. That's what all of us have apart from the resurrection. But thanks be to God, Job's hope will continue to grow throughout the rest of this book. He'll eventually say in chapter 19, I know that my Redeemer lives, and he will stand upon the earth, and after my skin is destroyed, that is, after death, this I know, that in my flesh, I will see God. That in my resurrected flesh, after death, I will see God. And so just as Job's hope in a mediator will grow from chapter 9, what we we saw a week ago, to chapter 16, and and, and eventually chapter 19, so this hope in the resurrection will grow from here in chapter 14 to chapter 19, where these two themes will merge together as that very mediator for whom he longs will stand between him and God, and through his death and resurrection, overcome death for him, so that after his skin is destroyed, he will and we will in our flesh see God and he will call to us and we will answer and he'll desire the work of his hands and he will take our sin and seal it up in a bag and throw it away forever and we will be vindicated, justified. This is the answer to Job's struggle. This is the answer to Job's complaint. As Packer said, the last judgment at the resurrection of the living and the dead will be God's final self-vindication against all suspicion that he has ceased to care for his people. Our deepest questions, they may not be answered in this life. We may continue to struggle and continue to wrestle. We may continue to think that no future bliss can make up for our suffering in this life, but as as Lewis said, the glory of the age to come will work backward to turn even our agony into a glory. The glory of the age to come will work backward to turn even our agony into a glory. The answer to our suffering in this life, the answer to the suffering of the righteous, as Asaph will learn in Psalm 73, is the hope of resurrection glory, of light light after darkness, gain after loss, strength after weakness, crown after cross, sweet after bitter, hope after fears, home after wandering, praise after tears. That is the pattern of our Savior whom Job foreshadows, who suffered and died and then rose again, and that is the pattern for all who were united to him by faith in his death and resurrection. That though this life may still include trials and trauma, sadness and sorrow, we're able to say, though he slay me, I will trust in him because he has overcome death has promised me life. Amen. Father in heaven, we thank you for Christ. 
We thank you for Christ whose suffering and death, Job foreshadows in his suffering, but who will also be raised unto glory to prove that he has decisively paid the penalty for our sin and overcome death so that the sins of all who trust him can be sealed in a bag and covered by his blood. We might have the assurance that you will call us by name and you will desire the work of your hands. That though this life is a veil of tears, every tear will be wiped away on that resurrection morn for each and every one who confesses in faith, though you slay me, I will trust in you. Though my flesh and my heart may fail, you are the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Whom have I in heaven but you, and earth has nothing I desire besides you. Lord, may that confession rest on the lips of each one here, trusting in life beyond life because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. We pray in